0: Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Maytech results presentation for the year ending 31st of May 2022. I'm Rory McDonald, founder, chief executive at Maytech, and joined by Debbie Lovegrove, our CFO. So we've got a 30 to 40 minute presentation to go through. Um, I'll update you on the progress over the last 12 months. Um, Debbie's gonna talk through our financial results uh, and I'll then provide an overview of our strategic priorities for the next few years and guidance on the business outlook for FY23. We'll then open up the floor for for questions. So it's been a truly monumental year for Maytech. We've accelerated our revenue growth, delivering over a 120% increase on FY21. This growth has been all delivered organically and increases our compound annual growth rate, uh, achieved over the last four years from 89% to 97%. We're really pleased with the progress. Clearly that growth can't continue forever, and there's been a few bumps in the road, but we're expecting FY23 to be another stellar year for May Tech, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later when I provide the business outlook. Our gross margins remain broadly in line with our FY21 gross margin. We benefited from a favourable revenue mix with some of the new capabilities we introduced. We saw an increase in billable utilisation. That was a 3% increase in billable utilisation. And our average billable day rates increased by 12%, which helped us to offset some of the inflation we were seeing in the hiring market. We continue to invest in strategic initiatives to expand the group building out new capabilities which have been offered to clients and reusable solutions for some of the industries we serve. The expanded capabilities include user-centered design, data and AI, cybersecurity, managed services, and transformation advisory. And these are all really important as they enable our business to provide a more comprehensive end-to-end offering for our clients. I can't really talk about the highlights without really talking about the incredible recruitment process over the last 12 months. We've more than doubled our headcount in what is primarily a six-month period, with headcount starting the year at 235 and growing to 478 by the end of the year. Many people are sceptical about whether we could achieve that level of growth. I think it's fair to say we execute really superbly on the recruitment side of things. The demand environment continues to be very strong. Despite the sort of political instability we've seen over the last six months, you know, we've brought in 12 new clients, we've signed record contracts with people like the NHS Digital, DVLA and the Met Office, which uh, have all been announced. We've also also signed a number of, kind of smaller contracts with, with the majority of our client base and our presence amongst our client base continues to be really, really strong. In terms of overall performance against KPIs, revenue is coming at 29.3 million, up 120% on last year. Gross profit in at 11.3, up 125% with a 38% gross margin. Adjusted EBITDA is coming at 2.6 million. And this is a really strong return to profitability in the business. Sales bookings up 115% in at 51.1 million. And that leaves us with a contracted backlog now of 38.2 million, which is yet to be delivered. These figures in the 51 and the 38 are before you add in the contracts that we've signed in Q1, which we've announced around 13 million. So continue to see really good progress there. Overall, these are a set of figures that I like very much. There's a lot of green on the slide here. A lot of them are over 100%. And they show for some really strong execution over what's been a challenge in 12 months. So many of you will be new to the Maytech story, so I wanted to provide a bit of colour around kind of what we do and the services that we offer. So Maytech provides digital transformation services to the government and the UK public sector. We support government bodies to move from paper-based processes and legacy operations to an approach which is much more digital at the core, enabling public bodies to deliver better services for citizens. You know, as an example, we work with people like HMRC to to deliver the multi-channel digital tax platforms. We work with people like Ofgem on the green gas support levy, people like DVLA on provisional driving licenses, Department for International Trade on um, import and export systems. So we've got some really big clients working on really important, important pieces of technology for them. Our business is organized around three areas. So we've got Transform and this is an area where we support our clients on the early stages of their transformation journey, supporting them with operating model design, strategies for disaggregation, business case creation. And this is a kind of relatively small specialized area of the business, which is really important part of setting up the sort of longer-term offering that we provide. We've got deliver. This is again the bulk of where the May Tech team are based, and this is where we work with clients to deliver on their digital transformation plans. Typically, this involves delivering new digital services for clients using things like cloud-based technology. Sometimes though, the technology will be citizen-facing services. Sometimes it will be more back-office-based technology like data platforms or helping to provide policy insights to government departments. The delivery group is really the bulk of our workforce. It's split out across cloud and engineering, digital delivery management, user-centered design, data and AI and, and cybersecurity, and really groups come together to deliver great outcomes for our customers. We also support our clients with running their live systems. So this is done through managed services, introduce specific solutions and things like our cyber operations center. You'll see on the slide that we've got a couple of different shades of green highlighted here. So. The areas that are in the darker green are service lines that have existed pre-FY22, the things that we've been delivering for a little while. The items in the lighter green are things we've introduced during FY22 and will continue to build out on in FY23 and 24 And all this is part of providing an integrated end-to-end offering to our clients. You turn into a clients, we've got a really fantastic base of clients. It's diversified, it's growing in all the industries that we operate in. You know, our central government client base is comprised of organisations mentioned earlier, and people like the Home Office and Ministry of Justice and Department for Education and the Ministry of Defence, the Met Office, et cetera. So lots of really, really big, fantastic clients. And these bodies typically have very substantial budgets for technology and change. And we're really kind of proud to count eight of the top 10 largest central government bodies as active clients of ours and to be working with them on the transformation initiatives. As we scale and as we continue to scale, we're seeing our contract sizes with our central government clients get larger and larger. Two years ago, we were in the running for half million pound, million pound contracts. Now, if you look at our pipeline, we have multiple opportunities in the 10 to 15 million pound contract size range. So we're seeing those contract sizes get bigger and bigger. These clients typically sign multi-year agreements with drawdown for over a period of time using this highly materials-based billing model against a range of different service lines. So some of the things I highlighted on the last slide. Our local government clients comprises of smaller government bodies, some of them are highlighted here. These organisations typically spend tens of millions a year on technology and change and completely aligned to the wider government's digital transformation agenda. The industry-specific solutions I touched on earlier are the type of thing that are aligned to this buyer. Our clients who are looking to buy a more proven kind of solutions that can be deployed multiple times over and over again. Our health client base comprises a mixture of kind of larger government bodies like NHS Digital, NHS England, plus a range of kind of smaller government bodies, some of which are listed on the slide here. The larger bodies have a similar sort of buying pattern and approach to the large central government departments. We've got big, big um, budgets for technology and change. So the market opportunity underpinning this growth is really fundamentally driven by the wider digital transformation shift. Within the government and public sector, there's lots of legacy technology, there's a lot of paper based processes that are really no longer fit for purpose and. A lot of the time they've been created by you know, antiquated suppliers who, who haven't done the best job over over many, many decades and there's really a, a, now a drive to automate to digitize to streamline the way government services um, are being delivered and fundamentally drive efficiencies around kind of how, how government operates. The immediate addressable market we operate within, um, is approximately two to three billion in size. that's been calculated using the digital spend by the government over the last few years. And it's been growing at approximately 22 percent annually within the UK. Earlier this year, the UK government recommitted and reaffirmed their commitment to digital transformation through through a new digital strategy. Um, and there was, a, there was a, the last spending review continued to, to, to allocate significant amount of funding to, to digital and digital transformation. There's also a kind of wider, wide opportunity in the UK market, which is spending that's considered legacy or heritage spend, which sits within this 12 to 15 million pound total UK market opportunity on this slide. And what we're seeing is a gradual shift from that area into the digital area, increasing that digital market opportunity that we're going after. So I've spoken quite a lot about the UK opportunity and the opportunities within central government, local government and health. There's also a global opportunity in this market. And, you know, on the global market, for several years, the UK has really led the way when it comes to digital government. But there are lots of other countries who, who are kind of following suit and modelling you know, many of the approaches and ways they are, are thinking about digital government or things that have happened within the UK. So for us, you know, we see a long opportunity in multiple years ahead to kind of go after some of this opportunity in other countries and other markets as we expand the business into international markets in future years. We don't see this being a short-term thing. We see this being something that happens in the second half of this decade as the business continues to grow and scale. There's also opportunities in adjacent markets, so areas like defence, security services, devolved administration, transport. These are all areas that we as an organisation can move into, and we're planning to move into it in the coming months and years. And we'll report progress on this. So all in all, you know we see the market opportunity ahead of us being one which spans probably the next 20 years as public sector organizations respond to significant changes brought about by things like climate change, artificial intelligence, and even things like COVID. And really all of these things are going to have a, a continued significant impact on how public services have been provided and really provide us with a long and significant runway opportunity ahead. So we built a fantastic team and a fantastic culture with great people at the absolute core of the business. The people are everything we do at Maytech and they're they're so, so critical to to the organisations. They are the foundations we really build on. Um, So it's incredibly important we get everything right um, for for our people as we grow. Um, As touched on earlier, really, really pleased with the progress we've made with recruitment. So we brought in about 270 people into the business in the last year, which has doubled our headcount. I've been really impressed by the calibre of individuals we've been able to bring in. I think really the reason we've been able to bring in such strong people is the quality of the value proposition, brand building, and that really resonating with people and kind of lots of people kind of wanting to join the Maytech business. You know, over the last 12 months, we used a real mixture of sort of direct recruitment through our in-house teams, you know, external recruitment support and use a significant amount of employee referrals. We doubled the size of our in-house recruitment team within the year, and that really enables us to do more and more recruitment in-house moving forwards. There were clearly significant challenges within the recruitment market over the last 12 months. There was a lot happening, and it was a really kind of challenging environment to recruit in. And we had to lean more heavily on external recruitment than we expected. We had associated fees related to that. We had to introduce things like signing on bonuses, which you know, a lot of technology companies were doing last year. So it cost us financially a significant amount to bring the volume of people into the business we did. But it was absolutely critical that we did that because we needed to build our headcount to, to deliver on the contracts we, we had with our customers. We're delighted now to have kind of small presence in places like Scotland, Newcastle, Birmingham, with employees recruited in all of these locations over the last 12 months. We can expect to very much continue to build out the headcount in these locations and serve as customers in these geographic locations moving forwards. So our academy program, for those who don't know, is our entry-level talent program. We brought 53 people into the business through the academy program, and that was across software engineering and user-centered design. And these programs are a really critical part of our long-term talent acquisition strategy and having kind of great people come into the business and then push us forwards. We've also done quite a lot of work on our organisational structure over the last 12 months. You know, really, as the business continues to grow and scale, we wanted to kind of stay ahead of that growth and put in place the right career pathways, opportunities, for progression, and the right structures, really, to support a business that is going to be multi-thousand people in the coming years. And the changes we've made have been really well received. We feel we've got now the right structure in place within the organisation to support us over the years ahead. Retention rate dropped in FY '22, so it dropped down to a 73% mark. This is disappointing, and you know there was a few things in there. So it's related partly to the changes in the hiring market and the impact that had on our organisation. Also related to significant increase in headcount we brought into our business. You know we made some decisions that were not right and that had an impact on retention within the organisation. This is a figure that, you know we focus on very very actively. It's reported weekly in exec meetings, monthly in board meetings, and we'd expect a kind of an 80% kind of steady state retention rate longer term. In terms of offices, you know, we continue to encourage our teams to really work from the location that best suits them. We're seeing a sub-10% attendance at May Tech offices at this point in time. but This is something we're continuing to monitor very closely and to see how it will play out in, in the months and years ahead. We've seen peaks and troughs from customers in terms of customers looking for some teams to be back on site, other teams not to be. So we have set up a kind of working group within Maytech to look at kind of what is our longer term strategy on office space and remote working, hybrid working, et cetera, and we expect to kind of continue to push that forward over the rest of FY23. Um, so with, with that, I'll, I'll hand over the mic to, to Debbie, who will take you through the financial results um, over the last 12 months. Debbie.
2: Thanks, Rory, and good afternoon, everyone. So just looking at the sort of key financial highlights for FY22, you can see that we've got growth in all of the key indicators that influence the growth of the business. We've got double-digit growth in our key metrics, which are revenue, gross profit, and adjusted EBITDA. Our revenue, so as Rory's already talked about, our revenue for FY22 was 29.3 million, which is a growth of 120% versus the previous year. This is all organic growth. So it's growth from a combination of strong growth from existing clients and also winning new clients during the period. Our gross profit was 11.3 million for FY22 versus 5 million for FY21. That gross margin was strengthened by a favourable revenue mix as we extended our capabilities during the year. The gross profit margin was slightly flat, so it was 38.4% in FY22 versus 37.6% in the previous year. We were really pleased with this because we did start to see wage and salary inflation pressures during the period. We also had a high level of contractor usage during the period. To combat those challenges that we had, we increased our utilisation level So our utilisation level increased from 78% to 81% during the year. We were also able to pass on that salary inflation to clients. So our average revenue per head increased during the period. Our compound average growth rate increased to 97% over the four-year period versus 89% in the previous three-year period. And our adjusted EBITDA was 2.6 million. So a significant returns profit. The figure in the previous year was a loss of five hundred thousand. So our cash balance at the end of the year was twelve point three million. That does include the funds from the IPO proceeds. So just again reiterating the fact that we've had strong revenue and strong EBITDA growth. So the revenue, as we already talked about, is up one hundred and twenty percent. We had some significant contract wins during the period, and they were announced on the RNS. We also increased our backlog. So our backlog at the ends of FY22, effectively our order book was 38.2 million. This doesn't include some new wins that we've had in FY23. So in the first two months of FY23, we've secured some new uh, contract wins and with some new clients of about 13.3 million. The adjusted EBITDA, you can see significant profit of 2.6 million, much higher than the previous year's loss of 500,000. So, as you can see, we've got a broad, diversified and expanding base of clients. So, our existing client base is very, very strong. So, the customer base is comprised of significant government bodies who have large annual budgets for technology and change. We've also got an excellent client retention record. Our client base is expanding. So, in the year to FY21 to May21, we landed 11 new clients. Five of those were key account clients for us. In FY22, we landed 12 new clients, with three of those being key account clients. And I think the other thing to point out is that average contract size is getting larger. So in FY22, we won our largest ever contract. That's a contract worth 19 million over a two year period. In FY23, we've also landed some new contracts, so the 13.3 million that I just talked about. We've also got a very significant bid pipeline. So as of today's date, the bid pipeline is 60, so 60, million. There are some significant um, and large contracts in that bid pipeline as well, and some of those will be landing in FY23. You can see that we've got really long-term visibility. So the nature of our clients, our account growth model, the sticky revenues gives us fantastic visibility over future revenues. So right now, as of today, we've got contracts that are signed or size of contracts that extend to FY25. We've got visibility of over 60% of our FY23 revenue already. And this is strong visibility from existing clients, but we expect to land new clients during the period. This visibility gives us very strong foundations to build on. So again, just uh, walking through the P&L, so sort of focusing on the main movements, obviously the revenue is significant, so it's up 120%. Our gross margin was 38%, which we're really pleased with given the salary inflationary pressures that we saw. Admin expenses, so our admin expenses were higher during the period, but that's in line with our revenue growth. The admin expenses also include share-based payment charge of 2.4 million, which is a non-cash item. It's effectively a UK gap entry, and we did have some exceptional costs in the period of 224,000. 180,000 of that relates to the cost for the IPO. So moving on to the balance sheet, you can see that the balance sheet is strong and our liquidity is good. You can see for the first time that we've invested in developing our own IP. That IP will enable us to unlock future recurring revenue streams, which will generate higher gross profit margins from FY24 onwards. Looking at the trades and other receivables, which is effectively accrued income, the balance at the end of the year was £6.1 million. Um, There's no issues with our bad debts. Our average debt days was 41 The reason it's so high is because it's timing. So effectively we're in growth phase. So it's the timing of when our revenue lands. The cash balance at the end of the year was 12.3 million. That includes the funds from the IPO, the net funds of 13.5 million. Moving on to the cash flow. So, we had a robust cash flow performance with our cash increasing by 11.5 million with a year end cash balance of 12.3 million. Looking at the key highlights, so the cash flow from operations was positive at 1.6 million. Again, you can see the funds from the IPO, the net funds of the 13.5 million. You can see the investment in the IP, the 1.9 million. We took out a Siebel's loan, so a coronavirus business interruption loan in FY21. We repaid that in October, November last year. So that was 1.25 million. The forward guidance. So just to give you an indication of how we're guiding the market. So from a revenue perspective, we expect the H1, H2 split to be 40-60 as we're continuing on our growth journey. Our gross profit margin is going to be in line with the previous year at 38%. EBITDA, we're expecting that to be more weighted in H2 than H1. But the reason for that is we've had some recruitment costs and some signing on bonuses that we're no longer doing, but this, these offers were made before the end of May 22, so they're impacting H1 23. Share-based payment charge, we're expecting that to be 2.5 million for FY 23 depreciation and amortization so our depreciation is really in line with previous years so we're expecting that to be about half a million our amortization policy for ip so our policy is that we amortize the ip when it becomes available for use and we will amortize it over three to five year period so we're expecting that to really hit the business from fy24 onwards corporation tax charge we're expecting that to be 20 percent but it will be reduced by the R&D tax credits. So we are expecting to submit some R&D tax credits for eligible R&D spend. Dividends. So this is just to reiterate that we are committed to paying dividends as stated at IPO. We will revisit this when we do our H1FY23 announcement. And finally, the R&D investments are the investment in our IP. So we spent £1.9 in FY22. We are expecting to continue that investment because it's going to unlock future revenue streams at much higher gross margins. So we are expecting to spend roughly about 7.5% of our FY23 revenue on R&D. For FY24, we're expecting that to be between five to seven and a half percent, and then slightly reducing in FY25 to five percent moving forwards. With that, I'm going to hand over to Rory, who's going to talk about our strategic plan.
1: Super, thank you, thank you, Debbie. Turning to our strategy, there are really kind of five key pillars that we're executing against, really to drive the long-term business objectives. Three of those pillars are growth-related. Fundamentally, we are a growth business. Yeah, you know, that's. Big focus for the organisations to scale up quickly and to capture the market opportunity ahead of us. Next two pillars are focused on the operational and the people side of business, which are very critical for scaling the business in a profitable and sustainable way. So the first part of our strategic plan is really expanding out our capabilities and providing that end-to-end transformation offering, which enables us to win larger contracts and to scale the impact that we're having with clients. So we've been building out our capabilities and offerings for several years and have built out you know, delivery UCD cloud and engineering capabilities you know, a few years ago. In FY22, we built out that managed service capability I spoke about, the cyber advisory capabilities, and we really have continued to iterate on our data and AI and our user-centered design offerings. Respecting the sort of data and AI and the user-centered design practices within our business to reach a sort of steady state in FY23, we expect things like managed service, cyber, advisory offerings to reach a steady state in FY24. So, there will be continued investments into those throughout FY23. We're also investing into industry solutions, so specifically for the local government market. So, these solutions are really part of a strategy to deepen our presence and offerings um, for this market by, by delivering sort of repeatable solutions um, in which we own the IP. These solutions will contribute. Uh, more significant gross margin as we create the solutions once and it enables us to roll out that IP multiple times. So, the second part of our strategic plan is really deepening and expanding our industry verticals and to enable us to enhance our status as the trusted advisor for customers. Yes, we've been working on this as well for a couple of years and got kind of local government, healthcare, and central government as our well, core industry verticals, which are all growing sort of nicely year on year. We want to continue to focus on this as it's really important to strengthen that expertise as it enables us to build more senior client relationships enables us to refine our propositions and more closely target our propositions for these markets and ultimately it helps us to differentiate more drive a more premium pricing and help to build a bit of a mode around the business for these industries so we're going to continue to scale up on these and we're also starting to incubate a small defense offering in fy23 which we will continue to invest into in fy24 so geographic coverage so this is the third part of our strategic plan and really it's rooted in being very sort of purposeful and intelligent about how we expand into new territories within both the UK and internationally. This is really important as within the UK, a very significant proportion of the public sector clients are based up and down the country. So for us, it's kind of critical that we have presence in lots of different parts of the country. It enables us from a talent point of view to access local talent and to kind of hire in more locations enables us to contribute back to communities we're working in. And it also enables us to build much closer relationships with clients based in various different parts of the UK. In future years, likely to be FY25 onwards, we'll start to talk a bit more seriously about the international expansion side of things and how we capture some of the opportunities outside of the UK. Over the next 12 months, we're going to remain absolutely focused on building out our UK presence and executing strongly against that. So the fourth part of our strategic plan is around how we build and optimise a best-in-class operational systems, processes and enabling functions. This is really all about operating an efficient business and a business which minimises overheads, has strong controls and systems and helps kind of really drive kind of bottom line performance. We've done a lot of work on this over the last few years. We've got new systems in place for HR, professional service automation, talent acquisition, quality control, reporting, et cetera. And we'll continue to really execute against this in the coming years to drive a more operationally performant business in the years ahead. And then finally, the fifth part of our strategic plan, and the most important one, is really to focus on our people and providing industry-leading employee experience for our people where there's fantastic opportunities for personal development, for career progression, for individual growth. This is absolutely critical to how we scale up successfully, and this has a lot of focus with our business. So it's a really, really key part of our strategy moving forward, and we'll continue to push forward on this. That's a quick overview of our strategic plans. With that, I just want to provide a bit of outlook on the business and how we're looking at things moving forward so in terms of outlook you know the business is trading in line with the revised market expectations with very very good visibility through to fy 24. Know, we're currently running on an over a 40 million pound annual revenue run rate we signed over 13 million pounds worth of contracts in the first two months of this year and we really have the most significant sales pipeline we've ever seen which exceeds 60 million the demand environment we're operating in continues to be very strong so we are really confident the growth trajectory we've been achieving will continue through FY23. The recruitment market softened somewhat, it's easier to source talent and bring them into the business than it was six months ago so we're finding it easier from a headcount additional point of view. So overall we we, we kind of we feel we're exceptionally well positioned to deliver both short-term performance and capture the longer-term opportunities ahead of us and we've got the the whole team, the whole whole business focusing on strong execution in, in the months and years ahead. Um, and with that, I believe we're over we're to questions.
0: You've doubled your headcount during the period. How has that impacted the quality of work and how do you preserve the culture of the business?
1: Yes, yeah, so we've, we've we've doubled, doubled the headcount in um, in the business in the year. We we focus a lot on kind of trying to create a really kind of strong culture and, and tech communities. We've got community managers in the business who support support the teams to, to get together. We do we invest quite a lot in training and development of people. Um, we. We um, we we have lots of things like showcases and show things and kind of mechanisms like that to bring people together and to, to ensure that you know we we create a kind of great environment for all our people to, to work in. From a quality point of view, we've got some structural things in the organisation which enable us to kind of manage the, the quality of delivery um, and the quality of kind of work we're doing as we scale. So the, the delivery assurance processes, account teams, various things we, we have in place um, that help with, help with all of that, and it's it's a really absolutely critical part of our business. So the quality of our offering, the quality of the work we're doing, is the key thing that really underpins um, you know, the success we've had with clients today and the success we'll have in future years.
0: And how do you handle staff retention because I think it's fallen during the year why is that
1: disappointed to to see the kind of retention rates um, retention rates dropped um, there was a couple of primary reasons for that so I think the first one was that you know the hiring market was was incredibly hot um, in, in FY in, in the prior year so there was you yeah, very very significant salaries out there out there in the market um, so that that played a factor um but I the think that sort of the bigger factor was probably the fact that the volume of people we were bringing into the business was was massively increased, and you know we made made some decisions that were you know to hire people and maybe not quite the right fit for the business and you know unfortunately some of those didn't work out and and, and some of the, some of those left the business so we saw a bit of an impact from from that in the um, in the second half of the year and that, that impacted impacted our retention numbers i think I think you know the way we look at this you know, longer term is, 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 is more important for us to the right people in, in the business, so we prefer to take an impact on, on retention numbers and have the right people in the business um, than kind of leaving people in the business who are, who are not like right long term. Um, we expect to, to maintain a steady state of about 80% retention rate longer term.
0: And do your revenue contracts have any fixed prices or are they billed on a cost plus basis?
2: The pricing for the contracts are uh, fixed when we um, submit the, the contract bid and when we're successful. Uh, we do have an opportunity to um, have discussions with clients about increasing um, contract prices, particularly we, we did this last year, actually, which is why the average um Revenue per head increased because we were seeing massive salary inflation. We had additional na- employees' national insurance costs. So we had discussions with clients who allowed us to increase those rates and pass those rates on to clients. Um, our average revenue per head is about 115000 That's we, we don't expect that to change purely because we are locked into those contracts.
0: So how do you see your margins changing as you grow?
2: we expect to see our operating leverage improve. Um, Our cost base is relatively fixed. So any additional revenues will drop straight through to the bottom line. So we do expect our operating um, margin percentages to increase in the kind of medium to longer term.
0: And who do you see your main competitors in the public sector digital space? And what's your USP?
1: Competitor in the in the space, I think that they, they vary um, by, by client and they vary by industry. So, you know, we come across people like Knos, BJSS, Equal Experts, ThoughtWorks. Um, you know, not in kind of central central government government bodies. There's a slightly different mix of competitors in, in the healthcare space and, and same again within within the local government government space and um, so we see it, we we do we do we do see it varying, and it also very varies on, a, on an account by account basis so certain certain competitors will be strong in particular accounts and less strong in others and um, but they're, they're they're the key ones we we, we come across frequently uh,
0: and why do you win the business and they don't
1: so it's one of the one of the key key thing we be bought is our absolute focus on, on public services. So, you know, everyone in our organisation is, you know, is trained on the, the, the government approach to digital delivery, the technology code of practice, which is a, is, a, is a government approach to how they want to approach technology, the government's approach to cybersecurity. So everyone in our organisation is really orientated around, around public sector delivery. What we find a lot of is that competitors in, in the market We'll have people who are working across financial services, retail, a bit of public sector, a bit of insurance, and they don't have that sort of depth of, of knowledge and domain expertise that our people will have. And really for us, that we, we find that really helps us stand out and, and customers really, really value that. Um, so that's what one one of the key kind of differentiators we, we find we have in the market. There are others for that but that's on the key ones.
0: And will pressure on government spending be a problem for you?
1: Our view is is it is unlikely to be um so i think what what we're, we're expecting to see is the government to, to use kind of technology to try and drive efficiencies and improvements yeah there's been a recent restatement of the government's digital strategy which which includes you know the transformation of some of the key key services the government provide and um we're expecting that you know the digital digital technology can really drive down the cost of doing or running parts of government and and we'll see more and more demand in this space for that as part of trying to drive drive efficiency in government.
0: And the company generates negative free cash flow and this may continue for a while. Why is it the case given the
2: reported profitability? So we are using um, the the cash to invest in our product. So in FY22 we invested um, 1.9 million into product development. Um, The reason we're doing that is we're seeing big opportunities in um, a couple of areas, in a couple of areas that we work. Uh, So we are investing that for future revenues. Those future revenues will have higher gross profit margins and they will generate a different type of revenue. So it will be more of a recurring revenue um, rather than a time and materials revenue base. So it's important for us to continue that product development um, moving forward because we can see a, a big opportunity there.
0: And what's the share based payment charge and why is it so high?
2: So the share based payment charge, so what this is, it's an accounting entry that's required under UK Cap UK GAP. It's um a non-cash booking. And effectively, what it, what it does is it amortizes the expected cost of the share options over the VEST period, which is three years. For Maytech, we have two schemes in place. So we have an LTIP scheme, a long-term incentive plan um, to retain key senior talented employees in the business. And we have a what we call a restricted share plan award, which is an award that we made to all employees when we did the IPO back in September last year. Now, the, the, the share-based payment charge is, uh, there are specific um, vesting conditions that need to um, be satisfied in order for those awards to vest. At the end of the three year period, if those vesting conditions haven't been met, then that share based payment charge will be backed out of the the PL. When we, so as management, when we focus on um, the key measures and metrics for the business, we always adjust out the share-based payment charge. So we always look at the adjusted EBITDA figure because that is a key performance metric for us to manage the business and remove that share-based payment charge effectively.
0: So going forward, will the 2.5 million share-based payments be about that? What can we expect going forward beyond 2023?
2: So moving forward, so FY24, it was obviously the the 2.4 million for... FY23, we're expecting that to be 2.5 million, Um, it will reduce, so we are expecting that to be about 1.4 for FY24, and then there's a little bit of share-based payment charge in FY25 because that's when the three-year period will um, terminate.
0: And do you expect headcount or staff costs to continue rising in line with the growth in turnover as in 2022, or was there some front-loading to this recruitment?
2: Recruitment costs them, themselves, we, not expect, we are expecting some recruitment costs to hit in H1 FY23. Um, that is purely because some of the offers that we made in towards the end of FY22, those offers were made uh, using recruitment agencies. Those employees have joined post-year-end, so either June, July or August. Um, so there will be some recruitment costs. There will also be some signing-on bonus costs in the first half of FY23. Uh, We had to offer the signing-on bonuses purely to attract the right calibre of talent. Um, We're no longer offering those signing-on bonuses, so it will only impact H1, FY23. We have built the in-house recruitment team, so we've got a team of 10 people. So for any kind of new hires that we need to make, we'll be um, using the in-house recruitment team to deliver about 80% of those hires.
0: And what do you reckon your headcount will be by the end of next year?
2: We're expecting an additional incremental 70 heads in FY23. Thank you very much.
0: And given that IT contracts usually overrun in terms of time and cost, and you're taking on larger and presumably more complex contracts, are there risks of penalties or provisions if you fail to deliver on contracts to time and budget?
1: at this point we've got we've got no contracts where we have um, any penalty you know, penalty clauses built built into them. Um, we we don't expect to, but that we, we that may that may evolve in the future. but at this point in time there's no contracts we've actively got or any contracts we're bidding on that have those type of clauses built into them.
0: And can you give some examples of the work you do are you installing software are you sorting websites are you writing code cr- to create products for clients internal use net phP database work etc
1: yeah probably the best thing to do is, is to have a look at our website because we, we've got a whole load of examples of the type of type of work we do on our website um we you know we're, we're involved in delivery of a pr- pretty pretty complex kind of uh, digital kind of technology solutions so hooking up you know court systems to, to the police systems we're involved in digital services so you know things you and I will use as a citizen of, of the UK um you know things thing, things are in you know, key, key to kind of interact in the government we things like that that we're, that we're delivering it, it's it's quite varied the type, type of things we're involved in but it's all tied back into transforming public services and um, I'd encourage you to have a look at the website to to have a get a flavour of some of the things we, we do.
0: And you've got no mention of ERP systems but aren't new systems sometimes required?
1: We don't operate in the sort of ERP system system space yes some, sometimes, um, sometimes ERP systems are put in place um, within government there's actually um, two or three kind of core ERP systems that are used across government so it's It's a slightly different part of government to to, to where we're operating in. Um, And sometimes these things are are required, but it's not a space that we operate in.
0: And are you going to bid for larger healthcare projects on your own or in a consortium?
1: Yeah, so as as touched on, yeah, we are part of a a healthcare consortium and the the NHS digital contract was was part of that as a a bid we we, we led on. Um, We we expect to continue to to, to partner with um, organisations in the consortium for you know, for the, for the foreseeable in medium term, we, we, we may well consider looking at some of those things directly. But we are early stages in kind of the opportunity within the healthcare space. And we expect it will take a few years to build, build our business um, to a more sizable scale in that space. Um, but yeah, short term, continuing to, to do lots of lots of work as part of the consortium.
0: And that's all we've got time for at the moment. Rory, do you have any closing remarks?
1: Um, just want to say thank you for everyone, uh, to everyone for, for attending attending the call today and for supporting the business. Um, yeah, look forward to, to updating everyone on on, on the results, uh, our interims, um, and thank you for your time.
0: PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.